I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hello, everybody. I have an amazing guest on my podcast today. I'm so pleased to be here with Dr. Jurgen Frevert, who is the father of Xeomin, which you guys might know as my favorite botulinum toxin for injectable wrinkle smoothing. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you. This is very cool for me to meet you because when we met a few minutes ago, I literally had a box of Xeomin on my person in my pocket. So, yeah, you're showing it to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was serendipity meant to be. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to start by first congratulating you on you. a very cool part of scientific progress in medical aesthetics. Thank you very much. What's your background as a scientist? I'm a chemist and I'm specialized in biochemistry. Did you know when you were a kid that you wanted to grow up and be a chemist and a biochemist in particular? Yes, yes. Uh, I had a small laboratory in our basement, so to speak, and did some experiments as a young boy. So I like chemistry and, uh, but at that time I didn't know that I would uh, be specialized in biochemistry. I did just, yeah, simple chemistry. And when you went to university, did you continue your studies in science, or what was your professional journey in school? Uh, what do you mean, prof- professional journey? Did you, did you major in uh, well, biochemistry? I, yeah, I, I majored in, in, in chemistry. I have a diploma. It's a different um, course in, in Germany. So uh, you get a diploma, and uh, then you can specialize for your PhD. And in my PhD work, I specialized in biochemistry. And my thesis was in biochemistry. Okay. And a lot of people who listen to this podcast like to hear about how people became who they are. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your early experiences. After you got your PhD in biochemistry, did you start working in somebody else's lab? Or did you have an idea that you wanted to focus on a specific field? Or tell me a little bit about how you got from there to your time at Allergan and now at MERS. Okay, that's it. It's a bit, it's a lot. A long story, so to speak. <laughs> we'll I break make, it up a I make it short. Uh, well, after my uh, thesis, I was a postdoc in Berkeley, California. And uh, I like to work with special proteins called glycoproteins. That means proteins which have carbohydrates attached. So I worked in this field to analyze the structure of these proteins. And um, I learned later on, by the way, that um, there's the so-called complex in proteins of Clostridium botulinum toxin complex react with glycoproteins. So in some degree it was a preparation for my future okay. work, All right. but I didn't know that at that time. Right. So uh, after I returned to Germany, I was uh, engaged by a so-called contract research organization, which is doing research for other companies, for chemical companies, for pharmaceutical companies, for the German government. In my first project, quite some time ago, 1983, was to purify Clostridium botulinum toxin type A. And that started my my work with botulinum toxin. Uh, I carried out a lot of different uh, projects concerning botulinum toxin. I purified all the different so-called serotypes of botulinum toxin. You know that in 
all the products in aesthetics, there's only this botulinum toxin type A, mm -hmm. but there are other so-called serotypes, B, C, D, and so on. And I purified all these um, other botulinum toxin serotypes, which have different properties, shorter duration of effect, longer duration of effect, different potencies, and so on. And I developed um, assays to analyze uh, botulinum toxin in, in nature, in the environment. I worked uh, on a biosensor uh, and vaccine, vaccine development. And that was the time that I was uh, approached by the company Elegan. Okay, <laughs> and then this is where the story gets interesting because for everyone listening, um, there are four different types of botulinum toxins that are FDA approved in the United States. And all four of them are effective wrinkle smoothing agents. Um, and you probably know them by their brand names, Botox, Dysport, Xeomin, and Juvo. And so we're talking right now about a little bit of the hard chemistry backstory of the difference between Xeomin and Botox. So um, let's go back into your story. So you were mm. approached by the company yeah. Allergan, which is the parent company of Botox. And what happened? I became a consultant to the company Allergan. I was still in employed by this contract research, uh, research organization called Battelle Institute, uh, but I became a consultant to Elegan and I uh, developed a couple of procedures to analyze the composition of the botulinum toxin complex. You know, in um, uh, the products um, Botox, Dysport and Gevaux, there's the botulinum toxin complex. That means that there is not only the active protein, the neurotoxin, the neuromodulator, but there are other proteins called the complexing proteins. And uh, I thought at that time, why inject all these other proteins into patients? Doesn't make sense. Why inject these proteins? Right. They have no function, they, they play no role. What the patient need, uh, needs is only the neurotoxin itself which is right. responsible for the action. So to put that in more common terms, um, Xeomin is a naked protein. So it doesn't have these all these other cross-linked extra protein um, moieties on it. And that means that it is a little bit of a more pure form of the same type of chemical compound. Yeah, it is really the, the pure neurotoxin. No other impurities, I will call them impurities or contamination, is in Xeomin. Yeah. Just a pure product, and that is what the patient needs for the therapy. Yeah. He only needs this protein. And I'm going to just pause and say that, um, you know, for those of you listening, I think that it's very important to have proper disclosure in anything related to um, medicine, healthcare, medical aesthetics, plastic surgery. So um, I am or have been a paid consultant for all four of those different companies that make all four of the different neuromodulators. So um, for Galderma, Mertz, Allergan, and Evolis. And I truly have no skin in the game in terms of um, going to bat for one product over the other. So all of the opinions that you're going to hear in this podcast from me are my own and I've not been paid or asked to say anything about any product. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out there so mm, people don't sure. think that this is yeah. a Xeomin ad because yeah. it is absolutely yeah, yeah. not. Well, of course, I'm convinced of Xeomin. Yeah, no I doubt mean, about that. Yeah. I think that, um, I think actually the idea of the concept of 
clean beauty harkens a little bit to um, this controversy but in the little fight between neuromodulators also because the whole clean beauty movement that many of us know about from our makeup cabinets or our mm -hmm. skincare drawers is how can we get harmful ingredients further away from our bodies, particularly if mm. they're not helping us in any way. Yeah. So um, what, are, what are your thoughts from a science standpoint about the relative efficacy of the four different neuromodulators that we use in the United States? Well, all the <clears throat> um, different products contain the botulinum neurotoxin type A. And from that perspective, they are all effective. The, uh, <clears throat> and I agree with that. I often tell my patients that a skilled plastic surgeon can get the same result with any of the four neuromodulators. I'm, I'm very agnostic about that. Yeah. It, exactly. So uh, there have been a lot of head-to-head uh, -head studies comparing different products, for example, Botox and Xeomine, and it was really shown that there's no difference in the effect and there's no difference in the duration of the effect. Mm -hmm. So the, they are comparable. What? Con uh, concerning efficacy and duration. The major difference, I've already mentioned that, is of course that uh, in zeomine we have the pure neurotoxin, nothing else. That's what the patient needs. And we think, and there are some data about that, that the complexing protein, proteins can have a specific action. And uh, then we come to the question of immunogenicity. You know that um, some patients the percentage is not very high, of course, uh, but some patients develop uh, treatment failure, and that's because they develop antibodies, neutralizing antibodies against the neurotoxin. The neurotoxin itself is not very immunogenic because it cannot activate the immune system, but it was shown that the complexing proteins have the capability to bind to dendritic cells, and that are the so-called sentinel cells of the immune system, and activate the dendritic cells to produce antibodies against the neurotoxin. From that perspective, we can claim that the immunogenicity of zeomine is very, very low. And indeed, until now, there is no secondary non-response due to neutralizing antibodies developed uh, in patients treated with zeomine. Right, so just to summarize in more um, easy to understand terms, what we're basically talking about is the idea that the more immunogenicity a substance has, the more likely it is to cause an immune response or an antibody response in a person. Mm -hmm. So if you um, are exposed to um, a, an impurity that causes an antibody response in your body, you're more likely to become tolerant to it over time. So if you've ever heard of patients who have Botox fatigue, or they take, they require increasing doses over time, or the Botox just stops working on them, that's because Botox is a more cross-linked molecule, and it's a little bit less pure, and it does have a little bit more antibody formation. So I think that that's really interesting. Um, I have personally used on myself um, all four of the available neuromodulators and I think that when you are looking at a situation where you have pretty equivalent efficacy and duration, like they work and they last the same amount of time, what we really want to figure out is what's going to cause the least harm. So exactly. that's kind of how yeah. I think about yeah. it. Okay, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, what you're working on right now. Uh, well, <laughs> I must confess that I'm retired. What? Yes. 
goodness. So, uh, well, the last um, uh, projects I was involved in uh, with, with MERTS, I was head of botulinum toxin research of the company MERTS, I must say that. Uh, we were working with a so-called recombinant botulinum toxin. So what we did is we, ta we took the gene for the production of botulinum neurotoxin in Clostridium botulinum, the producer, the bacteria, mm -hmm. which produce and, uh, the um, botulinum toxin. Uh, we took the gene and transferred it into E. coli, that is another bacterium, which can produce other bacteria. And so we had the po possibility to um, modify the protein and we succeeded in developing a botulinum toxin with a longer duration of effect. So um, that would be, I think, the future, uh, botulinum toxins with a longer duration of effect. What do you think about hmm. the new product, um, Daxi botulinum toxin, that Revance is developing? Well, this is also a pure neurotoxin. Um, uh, it can have a longer duration of effect, but in all the clinical studies, Revance is using uh, 40 units for the glabella as uh, compared with, for example, Botox or Zeumin, 20 units. And with a higher dose, you get a longer duration of effect. Yeah. They claim that it is um, a magic property of a special peptide derived from HIV, the HIV virus. And they claim that this uh, peptide has a special activity. I don't believe in it, I must confess. I think the uh, longer duration, which is demonstrated by the company in the clinical studies, in the comparison between Botox and Daxi, that this um, prolongation is only due to a higher dose. Yes, you know, I often explain this to my patients in the office, and for those of you who are listening, um, Botox and related neuromodulators all have a dose-dependent duration. And I say this all day when I'm trying to talk to people because if you want a totally frozen forehead, you're going to have a longer duration of your result. But if you'd like a natural looking result, like what, what we think of and refer to colloquially as a baby Botox result, mm. where you have a little okay. natural movement and just a little mm. bit better skin quality, and that's kind of my preference for myself and most of my patients, um, with a more natural result and a lower dose, the benefit is that you're getting less immunogenicity because there's less dosing of toxin in your face. But the drawback is that the duration will not be quite as long. So I actually agree with you. I think that I'm excited about what Revance is doing and I think Daxi is potentially very interesting, but I would really love to see how a head-to-head -head study would look if you looked at 20 units of Daxi in the glabella compared yeah. to 20 units of Daxi, exactly. of, of Botox yeah. or Xeomin in yeah. the glabella, yeah. because you know you yeah. kind of want to only control, you want to control for everything except for one factor, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm <laughs> waiting for this study, but they have not carried out this study, this 20 to 20, or they have not uh, compared 40 units of Daxi to 40 units Botox or Xeomin. So I'm waiting for this one-to-one -one study, so to speak. That yeah. would be very interesting. Now I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you about what it's like to have a career as a scientist because fewer and fewer um, graduating students in American universities are going into hard sciences because I think the allure of tech and entrepreneurship and um, even things like business school, medical school, and law school have become, they've, they've become you know hard to ignore. Um, what is it like for those of our listeners who are thinking about 
careers in science. What is a career in hard science like? Well, uh, I was really lucky to, uh, <laughs> to work with botulinum toxin so I could make a combination, so to speak, of hardcore basic science and applied science. And I think that is really fantastic. Uh, from, my, from my heart, I'm a real basic scientist, a biochemist, doing research in the laboratory and so on. And for me, it was um, big luck, so to speak, that I had the chance to work with a protein, which is not just a basic protein, basic research. Uh, it, it is a protein which uh, is applied in pharmacology for different indications, in aesthetic, in neurological indications. So that is really great. And I, if I would start anew, I would like to find such an area. Uh, there's a combination of research and in some degree, degree business. So that is, I think, the best combination from my point of view. Yeah, that's interesting. I am also a biochemist at heart. My first exposure to the sciences was when I was um, in college at Yale. I worked in um, this uh, really great lab run by Robert McNabb, who was one of my mentors, and we studied the flagellar export apparatus, which was a really esoteric thing um, that has nothing to do with my daily life. But I do think that some of those early formative experiences teach you the discipline and patience of science, yeah, right. which I think a lot of people don't realize. One thing that I think is funny about scientists, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think, but one thing I think that's funny about scientists is that they're very neutral. Science, if you're a scientist, you're, you're a pretty agnostic, neutral person, and you really are just, you know, you, you beckon to the call of the data. Yeah. Just whatever the yeah. data shows, and you yeah. are just... You have no opinions and no feelings. You have thoughts and hypotheses, but you just look at what the data shows. Exactly, that's absolutely important. You are neutral and look what the data, what the what nature is telling you. And uh, there are so many, especially in the uh, aesthetic field, a lot of different rumors, this and that. And uh, for me, only the hardcore data count, nothing else. Yeah. Which are statistically sound, and then I can believe it. There are so many observations and uh, you have to be very careful that are mostly individual observations. They're correct, of course, but to draw a conclusion, you have to have big numbers, big numbers of patients, statistics, and then you can believe it. Yeah, and good methodology because yeah. a series of anecdotes does not make yeah, facts. Exactly. And I think that's sort of the danger of the internet school of scientific research. Yeah. It's just like yeah. a series of random anecdotes. Yeah. Right. Um, what is the best thing about being a scientist? The best thing about, well, uh, you, as we already mentioned, uh, you only trust data. Mm -hmm. You do not trust fake science, so to speak, because you are critical. As a scientist, uh, scientist you are critical and a judge and, and make a judgment or conclusion only when you are really convinced by data, by figures, by facts. Totally. And the corollary to that is that there's no shame in changing your mind. If the data, if you wake up and the next big study comes out and the data says something else, then you're going to change your practice and response to it. And it's not going to be any hard feelings. Exactly. So uh, there was a famous philosopher, Popper, maybe you have heard his name, uh -huh. his name and he um, uh, he claims that uh, theories must uh, have the property to be falsified. 
when there are new data, new facts, you have to abandon this theory. Uh, and uh, you only believe in the th uh, theory until there is a falsification. I think that's a good uh, approach to, uh, to, yeah. to nature, to Exactly. To life. And this is something that I say all the time. Science is just what we know at a given moment in time. Yeah. Science is not a fixed point. It's always in flux and it's just mm. the culmination of all knowledge that we have at that point. Exactly. Um, well, this has been so interesting and exciting. Um, have you ever used Xeomin personally? Uh, <clears throat> only one time. <laughs> what happened? It happened nothing. What do you mean? Yeah, well, um, you see my severe glabella lines. You yes. can inject uh -huh. 30 units. Uh-huh. Nothing will happen. You can inject 100 units, you can inject 1000 units, would cost a fortune, of course, but nothing will happen. Why? Why? I'm vaccinated. Oh, really? I'm vaccinated against botulinum because uh, when I did research, I worked with very toxic sub uh, substances, very toxic um, solutions of botulinum toxin, millions of units per ml. And so my employer uh, required that I become oh, vaccinated. Oh, wow, that makes sense. Oh my gosh, you sacrificed yeah. your glabella yeah. furrows yeah. for all of us so that we may have smooth faces. Yeah. You are an American hero well. and a German hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so funny. Yeah. Wow. So I cannot be treated. Maybe, well, the antibody titer decreases over time. Yeah. And sure so maybe in 20 or 30 years, I can be treated. But I think at that time, I will not be interested anymore. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And this was okay. so interesting. Um, and I think that it's a really cool look at one of the relevant scientific controversies in plastic surgery right yeah. now, yeah. which is um, which is a little bit about why I'm always talking about the purity of the products that we're using. You know, I... I think that medical aesthetics is extremely powerful as a field mm. and um, and I'm all for people making safe, medically responsible choices that they want to for their own reasons. Um, but I love that, uh, that you've done so much cool work in a field that's so relevant to me. I think of you and I use Thank products you. related you. to your life's work every single day of my entire life. So Thank you very much. Um, you have an amazing legacy. It's very cool to get to meet you in person. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. And I can't wait to see you again. Thank you.